0: reading here, if I could, in verse number 18, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise." God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen yea and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I'm going to preach with this title here, a little unusual, but I think you'll get it from the passage we just read, The Foolishness of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together. This is a group of people that are assembled in this way that will probably never, ever be assembled in this same manner ever again. You so ordained that each person would be here today. You so moved in my heart to preach from this passage this message. And so, Lord, You knew long time ago exactly what would be preached exactly who would be here and would need this. I pray that every one of us would listen, not just with our ears, but with our very being, our soul, our heart. Help us to apply where application needs to be made. We thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. The year was 1879. There was a young boy that was born to a poor Jewish merchant. The boy, as he grew up, was found to be very shy and introspective. School always seemed to be a struggle for him. In fact, he was very slow in learning that his parents had him examined by specialists to see if he was normal. He struggled with math. In fact, he caused a lot of havoc in the classroom by his lack of paying attention that the teacher said, this boy will never amount to anything. While this young boy grew... But he never completed secondary education. Within a year of when he should have finished, still without having completed secondary school, he failed an examination that would have allowed him to pursue a course of study leading to a diploma as an electrical engineer at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. But finally, a year later, he took that test again and was accepted. This young man eventually overcame his shyness. He overcame the learning disabilities that he had and all the other struggles in life to actually become one of the greatest minds in our time. This was none other than Albert Einstein. What the world around this boy could not see, God began to use him in a special way. They saw him as not so useful. But God in His providence actually raised Einstein up at a particular time to affect the science world in a magnificent way. I think the scriptures that we have read today seem to be one of those anomalies that don't seem to make sense to our human way of thinking. The fact that God would use something that seems foolish to accomplish His will just doesn't make sense to us. The fact that God would use people whom the world would cast aside in order to accomplish his will again is something that just does not make sense. It's almost like it's a paradox or an enigma. Yet I want to say to you that God, who is greater than you and wiser than you, has chosen these very things and has chosen this very way which is spoken of in this passage to literally put to shame the so-called wisdom of the world. God who is greater has chosen all these things to put to, so, put to shame the so-called wisdom of man. So I want to share with you what the world considers as the foolishness of God. In other words, those things that don't make any sense to the world, but which if you study out as a believer, it will make perfect sense to you. So allow me today to open up this passage and just give three simple statements about what the world considers of God as foolishness. Number one, according to verses 18 through 25, God uses a different method to accomplish His will. God uses a different method to accomplish His will. When placed under the microscope of human evaluation, The wisdom of God does not seem to appear to work or to even be wise, again, to this world. We live in a very pragmatic society. We look for things that work immediately. We want things that are going to make sense to us, and so therefore, when we look at spiritual things through the eyes of the Holy Spirit and through what the Word of God says, we often say to ourselves, well, that doesn't make any sense. I don't think that'll work. But I want to tell you something. God is greater than you and I. God is wiser than you and I. And God knows how to make things work in this world. People look at the message of the Bible. They look at the message that is given here in the gospel of Jesus Christ that God would save lost people, people who are sinners, that He would send His Son to die for them. And people look at that and they say, well, that's that's an outdated message. That's a, that's a message that's irrelevant. That's a message that just doesn't seem to make any sense to the world. It seems an inferior message. It seems to be a weak message. But I want to tell you something Always look back at what God is doing and realize that God truly knows best. It's amazing when you look at verse number 19, the second verse of our text that we read. Here it is, Paul is quoting from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter number 29. And Isaiah is speaking about a time when the Judeans were getting affected by the powerhouse the power nation of that time known as Assyria. Now, God had used various prophets to let Judea know, I'm telling you something, Assyria is going to take you over if you don't get right with me. Well, here's what Judah does. Instead of listening to God and His wisdom and what He knows, Judah says, I think we can help ourselves. And so what they do is they coddle up to some of the other nations, like Egypt, who also was a very strong nation, and they said, look, we'll make an alliance with you, would you help us to defeat Assyria? Well, if you know your Bible, no matter what nation they coddled up to, they found themselves, because they rebelled against God, they went into captivity, and God knew what was best that's why he says here in verse number 19, it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. You think you know what's best for your life? You think you know what you ought to do and you decide on things of this world? I want to tell you something, I am going to destroy that wisdom. And God is showing to these people that he knows. Today in the day that we live in or the day that Paul lived in, it's always a matter of looking at what is the world's so-called wisdom as opposed to what is God's wisdom. Well, let me just go ahead and compare the world's wisdom with God's wisdom. If we look at the wisdom of the world and we look at Paul's day, we'll have to say, Well, Paul lived in a pretty, pretty uh uh uh, uh amazing day it was a day where there was a lot of philosophy and wisdom in fact many of the uh, of the philosophers of yesteryear were people who had been greeks there were socrates and aristotle and plato the word philosophy which is something that was very well known amongst the greeks was a word that meant the love of wisdom So as you look at the known world at that time through the Greeks, there was this love of wisdom, there was this promotion of wisdom, but it was all wisdom of the world. Now you say to yourself, well preacher, come on, what's wrong with wisdom? I mean, we send our students off to secondary schools and we send them off to learn things and we're always in in an age of learning new things. I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with wisdom. If you were to take the Apostle Paul, I would dare say rank him up with some of the philosophers of his day and Paul would have ranked up there right at the top. Paul was a very wise man. Paul, in fact, said to his young protege, a young preacher by the name of Timothy, he said these words, study to show thyself approved. Now, any of you that are students today, you're glad that you're out of school, but I'm telling you, if you're going to learn something, you've got to study. You've got to get in the book. You've got to read. You've got to know these things. Study. So there's nothing wrong with wisdom. So you say, well, why is God knocking the wisdom that is spoken here? Because it is wisdom that is of the world. If you decide that you're going to follow the world's way instead of God's way, I'm going to just tell you something. You've chosen the wrong end of the stick. You've chosen the wrong part Because though in Paul's day there was all this wisdom and all these wonderful things that people had put out, what Paul is saying is, none of that compares to the wisdom that God truly has. Now may I say today that we're facing also a wisdom of this world that is combating the church and the Christians? We live in a very fad-oriented society. It seems that all over this world people are looking at the gospel message as something that is just outdated. In fact, there's various words and phrases that are used to describe the gospel and the Bible message. People will often say, I've had them say it to my face, you still preach that stuff today? I'll have people say, well, come on, preacher, don't you understand the Bible's irrelevant to what we really need today? Or maybe you people often will say, well, you know, you just get up there and preach and you share the Bible and you pray on people that are uneducated and naive people in our society. Well, I want to tell you something. The bottom line, as far as this world is concerned, is the mere fact that to them it is foolish when we speak about sin. It is foolish when we talk about the cross. It is foolish when we mention the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is foolish to mention the word hell. But I'm here to tell you something. God knows how to deal with the problems of mankind amazing here if you compare the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God when it comes to the problems that mankind is facing today there's a whole world of difference in fact I love the questions that are given here in these verses notice verse 20 where is the wise where's the scribe where's the disputer of this world what Paul is really saying is we're still in this mess in this world of sin and tragedy and problems and, and all sorts of upheaval upheaval in our lives. And I'm here to tell you that there are people who say they are philosophers and who say they are smart into things of in this world, but where are they for the answers of this world? I'm here to tell you, The wisdom of God, though it doesn't make sense to the world, is what you and I really need. Would you look at verses 18 to 21? I want you to notice something here, because this wisdom of God is of a different caliber. I want you to see an emphasis on the word preach or preaching. Look at verse 18, for the preaching of the cross. Look at verse number 20, if you will, or verse 21. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Notice here. And then in verse number 23, But we preach Christ. You know, if you look at those three words, in the English it is all translated the same. It's the word preach. But if you were to look back at the original language, there are three different words that are used. In verse number 18, the word preaching that is used is the word logos, which means word. It emphasizes the subject of the message. And what is the subject of the message that we preach? It is the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 21. Another word in the Greek language is used, which means a proclamation. So the emphasis in verse number 21 is the substance of the message. While verse 18 is the subject, verse number 21 is the substance. It is all the things that are attached with the cross. But now notice verse 23. Here's another word that is used. It is the preaching word caruso, which means to herald or to proclaim. And that emphasizes the style of the message, the act of preaching itself. Now I want to say to you that preaching takes up a lot of different forms. I get a little excited when I preach. Some people say, preacher, you're a little too excited. It's Sunday morning. I haven't woken up yet. I haven't had all my cups of coffee. That's okay. I don't know how to preach any other way. This is what God's put in me. When I get up behind this sacred desk, I really give out what is in my heart. And I share it. But there are some people who will preach and are very quiet. Now, maybe you might be able to sit through some of those people. I I have a hard time. I I just preach the way that I like to hear and what really is in my heart. But no matter how people are preaching, what their style is, how loud they are, how quiet they are, whether they tell certain illustrations, whether they don't tell illustrations, doesn't matter. It is the fact that somebody gets up and begins to deliver and herald the Word of God. And I want to tell you something here today that we're pushed on every side in this world, the world will tell you, well, look, let's go ahead and fill our church services with drama. And I'm not against drama. Let's fill our church services with all sorts of music. Let's fill it with all sorts of entertainment. And I'm not against any of that. But I'm here to say, you cannot replace God's method of reaching the world. And it is a preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the world, they look at it as... Foolish. So, what's the difference here in the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God? Well, the world and the contemporary church, they've got to see what the difference really is. Because you look at many, not all of them, but many of the psychologists, many of the psychiatrists, the educators, the politicians, again, they're still trying to figure out how do we handle this problem that we're facing? I mean, turn on the news today and look at the problems we're facing, all back to a sin problem. Go to the local schools and see that there's sin problems. Go through your neighborhood. Find out that there is sin problem all over our nation, all over our neighborhood. And the world, with their wisdom, is trying to figure things out. But God has laid out a very simple plan. And I want to tell you something. It is the preaching of the cross and the subject and message of salvation that changes lives. You say, preacher, you ought to get more involved politically. Look, I'm not against politics, but I want to tell you something. If I got away from preaching this book, I'd get away from the greatest message the world has to offer. You say, preacher, you ought to get involved in certain little things and be involved in this little club and be involved in that. And I'm not against getting involved in any certain things, but I'm here to tell you that there is a message about the cross And there is something to be said about sin and about life and death and where we're going to spend all eternity. And it is imperative that every one of us, whether you're a preacher in the vocation or you're a a Christian, it is our duty to share the message of salvation. I'm reminded of Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, why did Paul say that? We might say, well, Paul, you're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because you're a bold and brash individual. I don't think so. I think if you met Paul and the beatings he went through and the imprisonments, Paul found ways to get out of there because he wanted to live another day. But I'm here to tell you why did Paul, why was he not ashamed of the gospel? Because he recognized that it is the power of God in the salvation. You know, it's beautiful what I have seen the last several months here, and I'm not going to call out individuals, but I can look right now through this auditorium, and because of the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, there are people sitting in this room who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Now you say, oh, preacher, do you attribute that to the great Calvary Baptist Church? Nope. Oh, preacher, it's you. You've got a winsome personality and you're able to do. No, it's not me. It is the preaching of the Word of God. People have come and they've recognized by the preaching of the Word of God that they're a sinner. They've recognized that Jesus died for their sin. And they recognize that there is a way to have salvation and that's by accepting Christ. And what a glorious thing to know that there are people throughout this room who have trusted in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for salvation. Because God uses a method that the world just poo-poos on. The world looks down on, but God uses it in a wonderful way. Number two, I want you to notice, verses 26 to 29, that God uses ordinary people to perform extraordinary things. Now, I like this because this portion of Scripture is really a commentary on the type of qualifications that God is looking for. Now, how many of you, without raising your hand, how many of you remember being in grade school or maybe high school, it might have been gym class or something else, and the teacher said, all right, we're going to play a certain game and we're going to split up and we're going to have captains and we're going to let the captains pick the team. And maybe some of you are here today and you were very athletic and you got picked kind of close to the top. But there might have been some of you, and maybe I can tell by looking at you a little bit, you were at the bottom of the totem pole, you know? You're standing there waiting to be picked, and finally the last captain says, All right, we'll take you. Yeah, come on, yeah, come on, come on. Well, I want to tell you something. When God selects his team, he doesn't look for the talented, he doesn't look for all those that have all the special gifts, the smartest ones, the ones who have all the degrees. The ones who are well known in this world. Now, it's not that God won't use any of those. In fact, I like the Bible. It doesn't say that God is not going to use any of these, but He doesn't use many. But He does use some. And I praise God for those that are very smart in certain areas that God will use in a tremendous way. But I want to tell you something. That means that there's hope for me. I'm so glad that God said that He chooses the things of this world that the world despises. That the world doesn't consider at all and the world says, no, I don't even want you on my team. God says, I can use you. I'll take you on my team. I'll use you in a tremendous way, and imagine here the fact that God uses, look at verses 27 to 28, what he describes here, that God has chosen the foolish things, the weak things, verse 28, the base things, things which are despised, now think about this, God uses foolish things, this describes those who are not wise in themselves. The Greek word for foolish means dull-witted or non-intellectual. I want to tell you something. Thank you, Brother Dave. Amen. I like that. All of us realize that we don't have much to offer when it comes to smart. But I want to tell you, God's choosing the things that the world thinks is foolish. You say, does God really do that? Absolutely. Do you remember a man by the name of Balaam who was riding and was really kind of going against God's prerogative of what he was supposed to do? And God stops him with an angel that's there, and Balaam doesn't even realize it. Now, Balaam's a smart guy. He's a prophet. He's a man that was able to communicate with God, but God takes a donkey... To actually lay down and basically God allows that donkey to talk and say, Balaam, stop! Absolutely. God uses the foolish things of this world. God uses the weak things. This describes those who are not mighty in their own strength. They're strengthless. They're feeble. God uses the things that are despised and the things which are not. That means He uses things that other people think are of no importance. The base things are things, people who are low-born, who maybe have no value or dignity. It could describe those who are treated with contempt. Things that are not means, those that are of no consequence. And I want to share with you here today that that gives hope for me. Because if God can use the foolish and the weak and the base things then I raise my hand and say, God, can you use me? Yes. yes, John, I can use you. What a joy it is to know that. Can I say that God's been consistent all the way through in using things that we don't consider important? Look at how in Scripture, if you just take time for just a moment and listen and think about how God has chosen ordinary things and people. Do you realize the Creator of the universe chose to make you out of dust? You're not made out of uranium. Do you realize God spoke to Moses through a burning bush as opposed to a great and large cedar tree? Do you know that God chose to dwell in a skin-covered tabernacle instead of one of the large, ornate temples of the world? During the time of the judges, Samson used the jawbone of a little donkey to kill a thousand Philistines for the Lord you know that when David was just a boy, God allowed him to defeat Goliath with a sling and one smooth stone? The Lord Jesus Christ, while he was on this earth, was able to use the gift that a little boy had to feed a whole multitude. And what was that gift? Five loaves and two little fishes. God chose Moses, though he complained about not being able to speak. And that man was able to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. God chose a man by the name of Gideon, a man who was hiding in fear from the enemy to actually lead the children of Israel against their enemies. And I love this little story. God chose a little shepherd boy by the name of David to be the next king of Israel, even though all outward signs pointed to the fact that he couldn't do it. None of his family thought that that man could be king, but yet Can I say to you, that's just the way God works. That's the way God works. This is what God's doing in the church today. God right now is looking through this auditorium. He's combing through and looking at each individual. And He's not looking necessarily at the sake of ability. He's looking for availability. See, you say to yourself, I can't be used because I don't have the ability like this person does, or I can't speak like that person, or I can't accomplish things like this person. God's not looking for all that. God will do what you cannot do. All He's looking for you to do is say, Lord, I'm here. Use me. Use me. I love the story of how God's used various people. There's a great man that you ought to get to know in our Christian history about a hundred years ago, a man by the name of Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter was born to a bartender who it was said that this man drank as much as he served in the bar that he was at. Mel, sadly, followed in his dad's footsteps, but worse. Got married, constantly lost jobs, never could stay sober. His life became so bad that Trotter later said about his life, he loathed the life that he was living and he tried his level best, but it just wasn't in him. Trotter began leaving home for weeks at a time and when he would return, he would be in a whole period of drunkenness. And at one particular time when he came home, he found that his two-year-old son was dead Believing that he bore the responsibility for his child's death, he considered suicide. He stood beside the coffin and swore that he would never, ever touch liquor again. Two hours later, Trotter was a staggering drunk. Hopping a train, he landed in Chicago in January 1897, where he sold his shoes to buy another drink. Drunk, broke, and shoeless in the snow. Mel Trotter was nudged into the Pacific Garden Mission where he was converted and became a preacher of the gospel. You say, can God use people like that? Absolutely. Those stories are told over and over and over again. And why does God choose people like that? I mean, come on. In our way of thinking, we'd say, oh, there's the brightest people. We need them. There's the people who have the most talent. Let's use them. Look at verse 29. Here's why God chooses all the foolish, weak, and base things. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Now, let's just say I was one of the smartest people in the world, and I could come up to you to say, aren't you glad God called me to be the preacher because I'm a smart preacher today? And guess who would get the glory? Me. Or if I had the most talent and I came to you and I said, aren't you glad that I'm your pastor here today? I've got all these talents and gifts that I can bestow upon the church. Who gets the glory? Me. But the fact that every one of us who are here today who are of the foolish category and the base and the weak things, we come in a very humble fashion before God. And we say, God, I have nothing to offer. I am nothing. But whatever you want to do with me, you're welcome to me. You can have me. And therefore, anything that's accomplished through our life, we come back in our singing and our praise to God and say, God, you get all the glory. Isn't that wonderful? That no flesh should glory in His presence. Now I want you to notice verse number 30, that God gives us the greatest means to overcome our problems. You know, what a beauty it is to know that God has chosen me, if you will, and given me salvation. What a beauty to have my sins forgiven. In God's perfect plan of this beautiful thing called salvation, He's united me with His dear Son, Jesus Christ. Could I say to you today that God didn't just sign a contract with you and slap over to you wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and all those wonderful things. But here's what God did when He saved you and when He saved me. He placed us in Jesus Christ. And because we are united with Jesus Christ and we grow in Christ, we are given from the dear Son of Jesus Christ these things that we absolutely need. Wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You say, what do those things mean? Well, wisdom from Jesus now gives me a proper way of thinking about things. You see, because in the world, I'm always thinking of how the world thinks. What does the world say about this? But now that I'm in Jesus Christ, I am given the wisdom of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So now I've got a proper way of thinking. Think with me of this. We're given righteousness. This is a right and proper way of living. Oh, we have people that are trying to live right on on their own. They're trying to fulfill the righteousness of the law by being good, by by doing good deeds, by keeping the Ten Commandments. But I want to tell you, we all fall short, as the Bible says. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that's why Romans 10.4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Notice what Christ is also to us. He's sanctification. This gives me a right and proper belonging. I want to tell you something. Christ has saved me and He's given me something in Him, something wonderful. You know, in this world, it's amazing how people are trying to find their their belonging. They'll join a club, they'll, they'll work up the corporate ladder to find their way in this world. But I want to tell you, the day that I got saved, I found my value in Jesus Christ. And When you got saved, you also found that. But Jesus has also made to us redemption. That is, He gives us a right and proper standing. Can I say that if you and I have all this, why is it that so many Christians seem to be weak? And pathetically living the Christian life. Look back at verse number 30. Look at what you have in Jesus Christ. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. He's given you the right way of thinking. He's made unto you righteousness. You have the right way of living. He has made unto you sanctification. You have the right belonging and redemption, the right standing. You have what you need in Jesus Christ. Quit looking to the world for the answers. Now today, it's possible you're here. I don't know the condition of every person that's here. I've, I, have no, I know many of you. I've met many of you. You've testified to me personally that, yes, I've trusted Jesus as Savior. But it's possible that you're here today, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, You're trying to find the answers for life of how you can gain eternal life. You're trying to find the way and search through and you're looking through with your mind at this and you're, you're searching through this world. But may I submit to you that the answer to all the problems that you face, the heartaches of this world, all of it is found in Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 18, the first verse that we looked at earlier. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish. In other words, to all of those who are right now lost in their sins, you're not saved. You know in your heart that if you were to die today, you would not go to heaven. Do you know what the Bible says? That the preaching that is going on right now to you, it might seem Foolish. You're here and you say, oh, preacher, come on. We're in 2023, soon to be 2024. We got all this technology. We got all these things going on. And you're talking about an outdated cross. You're talking about an ugly word by the name of sin. You're talking about hell. Come on, there's going to be a better message. And why is the preaching of the cross to certain people foolish? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it offends our pride as a human being. It offends our pride because we have been conditioned that nothing in this world is free, and if I have it, I've earned it. Can I tell you something? Everything you have, you may have worked with your hands and used your mind, but God gave you everything you have. The only way you'll have salvation is if you place your faith in God. I want to tell you why it's foolishness to those who don't believe. Because many of us look at it and we say, well, this isn't fair. Because when God loved the world and He gave His Son to die for all the people of the world, you know what God did? He leveled the playing field. God did not say, I'll give salvation to those who receive a certain grade point average. Yes, praise God. Some of you ought to say amen. God did not give salvation to those who are well known in this world. God did not give salvation just to those who have achieved a certain level in this world. I want to tell you, God has leveled that playing field. And why to some people it's foolish is because they say, well, that's just not fair. I've worked for what I have. I've gotten to this place. I've gotten to this particular position because of what I have done. But I'm telling you, God offers salvation to the whole world, to any who will believe. So if you're here today and you're without Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, The world may tell you this message is foolish, but I'm here to tell you this is the greatest message in all the world. For you to acknowledge you're a sinner. For you to acknowledge that Jesus died for your sin. For you, by faith, to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Would you do it today? But you may be here today and say, Preacher, I've accepted Christ. Wonderful. But you look back at 2023 and you say, You know... I haven't really gotten involved because I, I, I just, I don't have the talent like certain people do in that church. Or I'm not as smart, or, or I, just, I can't do certain things like other people can't. I want to tell you something. Get off of that horse. Get off of that mindset. And begin 2024 with this new vision that God can use you just as you are. Whoever you are, whatever talents you have or lack of talents you have, however smart you are or however not so smart you are, whatever condition you find yourself in, God can and will use you. Do you know what you need to do? You need to come forward today. You need to, in your heart, raise your hand to God and say, God, I'm here. I don't know how. I don't know what. But I'm available. Would you use me? I want you to do me a favor and bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to go ahead and close in prayer right now. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the blessing of being able to see the truths of this passage of Scripture, how you can use anybody. How you use the preaching of the Word of God to save those who believe. And Lord, the things that we are made in Christ Jesus, how wonderful to know. I pray today for those that are unsaved, that you would really speak to their heart, that they would come to a saving knowledge of Christ today. I ask for those that are, that are born again and know it, that today that they indeed would surrender their life and would become available for your use.